That being said, um, yes, the Rice Krispie, Gerard from Through the Table, are with us, are with me this evening, uh, helping me navigate this world of tag team wrestling. Now, Gerard. For the main event of the evening. For the main event of the evening. Live from Long Beach, California. The Golden Lovers, Kota Ibushi and Kenneth the Omega against the Bucks of Youth, as so-called by Matthew Hardy, Matthew Jackson, and Nicholas Jackson from Rancho Cucamonga, California. I love the fact that they're from Rancho Cucamonga. Reminds me of next Friday. It's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, ladies and gentlemen, this tag team match took place in Long Beach, California uh, at Strong Style Evolved 2018, which was then followed by the G1 Climax, if I'm not mistaken. No, not the G1 Climax. What was the G1 show that they did here in California? G1 Special. It was the G1 like Special, the yes. first night of the G1 Climax, but they did it in America. Yes, this is all oh, like that's the first right. time ever. That's when Cody won the IWGP US title, right? That night at the, at the G1 Special? Um, Okada defended against um, Cody. That okay, night. that's what it was. Okay, gotcha. That's right, because Okada was both the U.S. champ and the heavyweight champ. Oh, no. This one, um, he just defended the IWGP. Right. He's only won that belt, but this was um, Cody's first big-time New Japan main event. This was like the coming out party for him. You're, the other interesting part is the, this was the final night two of the G1 special was where they crowned the first United States champion, which was Kenny Omega. Kenneth, Kenneth, Kenneth. We're going to talk a lot about Kenneth in this match. Oh, yeah. I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. I have a piece of burger in my mouth. I've been eating my dinner <laughs> as we do this episode this evening. I'm a hungry man. I have been awake since 2.50 this morning, uh, West Coast time. Um, and, yes, I'm still in the midst of eating my dinner. It is 7 o'clock on the West Coast. It is 10 o'clock on the East Coast. Gentlemen, thanks for sticking with me. Crispy, I promise you I will get you out of here on time. But – it's all good, man. That's what coffee exists for. Amen. Coffee, Rockstar, Red Bull, and uh, Monster. Um, and Mountain Dew, if you're like me. That being said, I have done a lot of talking in the other two descriptions of these matches. I feel that because the kings of New Japan Pro Wrestling are on my podcast this evening and the presidents of the New Japan Pro Wrestling Playing Club are here, I feel that it is only right that you all give us the accurate, correct, very well descri- very one, very well done, excuse me, description of this said match. So before I hand it over to good brother Gerard and good brother Rice Krispy, let me be the first one to tell you that it brought me genuine tears of joy and happiness when I did not expect to hear the voice that I heard call this match. And ladies and gentlemen, this match was called by the GOAT. Uh, good old JR Jim Ross. Um, and when I played, ma- played this match on dailymotion.com, thank God for them because this was not on YouTube. So you guys made it real tricky for me. I thought I was going to have to watch the 17 minute highlight. Hey, that's, where I, that's where I watched it too. Yeah, I was, I was pissed. I was like, damn it, dude. Like, Gerard over here picking the NJPW. Like, you know, look, I had to. I had to do it. I know, I but I was like, I don't know where the hell to watch it. And I was so mad. <laughs> and then I found it, found it on the internet. I was like, oh, thank God. And then I realized it was a 40-minute match, and I was freaking prepped myself. <laughs> <laughs> but then I turned on the match, and all of a sudden I hear Jim Ross talking, and I was like, 
I'm sorry, I must, I must have clicked on the wrong thing. Nope. Nope. JR totally called this match with Josh Barnett. Um, and this match, it was my first time ever watching it. It was my first time ever really watching a real New Japan Pro Wrestling type style match. Um, I have many, many thoughts, but before I say them, I will let Crispy and Gerard break down this match for us as best as they can because they are the kings and know-it-alls of this match. So, gentlemen, please take it away. I will mute myself. So, Rice Crispy, we're going to do this as a tag team, right? I'll set the primer for the background of this match. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you have the, the meat and potatoes of breaking down this match. Sounds because, good to me. Yeah. This, this storyline that played out into this match is years in the making. Years in the making. And when I tell you years, this started in dramatic dream team promotion, DDT Pro Wrestling, with Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi as the Golden Lovers, right? All right, now talk to me, guys. How long are we talking here? How, long far, how far back for those of you who don't, for those people like myself that don't always pay full attention to New Japan? The Golden Lovers started in dramatic dream team they were founded January 2009 was the first tag team match. As DDT. Oh, wow. Okay. That's so almost a, long a decades time. long, decades long story. And this that's takes a lot long. of very interesting turns. So I'm going to give you the, the quick notes version of it. When the golden lovers went to new Japan initially as a tag team, they were featured in the junior heavyweight division, obviously, because they were both smaller guys at this point, they won the junior tag titles, but, Cody Ibushi was the guy who looked like he was going to be the big star coming out of this tag team. Kenny Omega was falling to the wayside. Ibushi's stock rising. Kenny's falling at this point, right? So Ibushi started doing heavyweight stuff, including his critically acclaimed match with Shinsuke Nakamura at Wrestle Kingdom 9 here. Kenny Omega wasn't featured like that on the card. Kenny Omega wasn't the featured guy in the Golden Lovers. And then Kenny Omega did the unthinkable by joining Bullet Club. So he betrayed his friend, even though there was never... You fools! <laughs> yeah. I had to get that in there. Classic, that pro, classic promo of his. Super cringy, but it was classic Kenny Omega at the time. There was never an official turn at this point. They were just hold on, wait, Kenny, wait, 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 hold on. the you fools thing. What is this Dragon Ball Z? Like, I mean, Kenny has a promo where he speaks. He acts like he's going to speak in Japanese as a baby face. And then he goes, you fools like typical anime villain stuff. If you look back at Kenny junior division run, that's what the cleaner was. That's yeah, he was hey, an anime villain. That yeah. is fantastic. I'm yeah. sorry. Car- I didn't mean to interrupt. I just, I <laughs> oh, no, it's hilarious. It's, we love that. Yeah. That's he was at the, that was, it was funny at that point. There was never an official turn, though. Kenny just joined the Bullet Club. He was like, I'm now buying this- in. I'm a foreign guy. You guys you guys never accepted me for who I was, even yeah. though I was one of you. You know, I now, spoke fluent Japanese. I, you guys to, turned on me. Just to understand, now, when he joins Bullet Club, is AJ still running the show, or was this when AJ left for WWE? This is prime AJ Styles was the head of Bullet Club. Gotcha. So right. Finn Balor has already yeah. left. So AJ right. Styles and- has taken over the head of Bullet Club. Right. Balor is in NXT, and then Omega joins while Styles is in charge. Right. As with, a junior heavyweight. As a junior heavyweight. Very key point. 
Gotcha. He was going to be the he was going to be the 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 junior centerpiece because at that time Bullet Club, you know, the way they were set up, they had their heavyweight star with AJ. Yeah. They had the junior tag stars with the Young Bucks. They had the heavyweight tag stars with God. Um, and then now Kenny Omega comes into the fold uh, to be the junior centerpiece of Bullet Club, and you know. He yes. just joined for the money. Right. So this is basically. By the way, that's another quote from that from his promos. That exact way Rice Krispie just said it. Exactly how it went. I love I love New Japan, and I don't even get a chance to watch it all the time. So just for those for those of you who don't watch New Japan, look at it this way: the way the hierarchy of New Japan of uh, excuse me of Bullet Club was just described by the Rice Krispie and Gerard is basically the it, the early days of D Generation X. AJ was Shawn Michaels, Omega was younger Triple H, and then if, now we're Anderson and Gallows were the Road Dog and Billy Gunn. Okay, yeah, and that's then, a good way to explain it for casuals who might not understand. The, yeah, so uh, I just want to make sure that that was broken down. So carry on, good brothers. I apologize. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. So we're about in 2015 here, right? Kenny's Kenny's joining Bullet Club at this point. He's doing stuff with the Young Bucks. Ibushi is starting to percolate as a heavyweight star. At this point, he's already eclipsed the heavy the junior division because his popularity has waved up upwards. And this is also while Kenny Omega first won his first junior singles title against Ryusuke Taguchi, who was Finn Balor's former tag team partner at one point. So Kenny's winning this junior title. Ibushi loses to Nakamura, and people are talking more about Ibushi still. Even though Kenny just joined Bullet Club, he's just won the junior title. He's still an afterthought. This builds into the New Japan Cup 2015, where Ibushi runs the table in the cup and wins to get a title shot at AJ Styles at Power Struggle 2015. I mean, Invasion Attack 2015. Right? And Invasion Attack 2015, the main event is the IWGP Heavyweight Champion, the phenomenal one, AJ Styles versus the golden star, Kota Ibushi. This match, the finish is insane, by the way. Ibushi's going up for the Phoenix Splash. Kenny Omega stands on the ropes. Just looks at him. Because by that point, they never had a, a regular breakup. There was not a heel turn. It was just, they went separate ways. Kenny did, you know, Ibushi rolls up and that. It was enough to distract him. Enough for AJ to, Styles to recover. He still goes for the Phoenix Splash. AJ catches him, hits him with the Styles Clash. Boom, that's it. Omega never touches Ibushi after that. It was just, he was conflicted. The whole match was AJ Styles was trying to convince Kenny, help me beat him. Help me beat Ibushi. And now this is when the interesting, the, the tide turns. Ibushi gets hurt in, 20, in November of that year. Cervical disc hernia. And then he announces resignation from New Japan Pro Wrestling. This is when he starts flirting with WWE. He does the Cruiserweight Classic, the critically acclaimed match with Alexander in the Cruiserweight Listen, Classic. Let, let me be the first person to tell you, Kota Ibushi, he was so good in the Cruiserweight Classic. It's, it's, I know that the term, it's not even funny, gets thrown around a lot. <laughs> it's not funny 
how good this man was in that classic. Remind me, gentlemen, who won the Cruiserweight Classic? It was TJ Perkins, correct? TJP won the whole thing. And the only but, reason yeah. why was because Kota Ibushi did not want to sign a full-term contract with WWE. Is that neither neither him nor Zach or Zach Saber Jr. Yeah, because right. I think I think those are the two favorites to win, but yes. they just weren't gonna sign. The, fi- the final of the Cruiserweight Classic, if I am not mistaken, was TJ Perkins versus Grand Metalik. Um, which, by the way, was a, a, actually a very good match. Let me be the first person to tell you that. Um, but uh, Brian Kendrick and Cody Bushi was way better. Uh, yes, and there's a reason. Burning why, Hammer. There's a reason why, basically, after TJP, Brian Kendrick ran away with the cruiserweight title for like the next four months. There's a reason for that because Brian Kendrick was much, much better than TJP. But Kota Ibushi. Uh, if you don't want to watch New Japan Pro Wrestling, I highly recommend to basically watch any of his matches on the Cruiserweight Classic. <laughs> guess what? They are to be found on the World Wrestling Entertainment Network, which you can get. Yes. Apparently now a free version, but you can get it for $9.99. I get it for free $9.99 because, well, I get I use Ross's I use Ross's password. If he knows that, um, and that's fine because basically for the entire inception of the Double Turn Podcast. I was using my WWE network and that's what we watched. That's what we used to watch our pay-per-views. So it's okay. That being said, Kota Ibushi, amazing. Please carry on. And then we will go ahead and discuss and break down their match. And now we're almost to now the tides have turned. Ibushi's out of new Japan at this time. In 2016, Kenny has automatically asserted himself in the heavyweight title division in 2016. He wins the G1. The first Gaijin, a.k.a. foreign star, to win the G1 Climax, their biggest tournament of the year. This is when Kenny's popularity might have been at an all-time high, coming off his match with Okada at that year's Wrestle Kingdom. That was the right? first Okada match, correct? Yeah, the first Kenny-Okada match. Phenomenal. At this time, Ibushi, in 2016, does come back to New Japan at Wrestle Kingdom 11. But he's not Kota Ibushi. He's Tiger Mask W donning the mask of a popular anime in Japan that you can find on Crunchyroll if you really want to watch it. It has all the New Japan guys on it. He's not Ibushi at this point. He comes back in the 2017 G1 Climax as the Golden Star, Kota Ibushi. And this is where a lot of the the build-up starts because he still he hasn't really gotten in it to that point yet. He loses in the G1 Climax. Omega loses in the final to Tetsuya Naito at this point. This is the first time in about two years or so that they've actually been in the same company. And they're both in the heavyweight division. So people are waiting for that clash of Ibushi and Omega. But instead, Cody, Cody Rhodes has a feud with um, Ibushi that goes into Wrestle Kingdom 12. And then at New Year's Dash 2018, this is where the Golden Lovers reunion builds up. Cody attacks Ibushi after a match, after losing to the Bullet Club. Kenny stops the, stops the assault. This is where people start going, okay, is Kenny leaving Bullet Club? Is Ibushi turning, turning Kenny face? There's backstage stuff with the Young Bucks where Ibushi's checking on Kenny after one of the Okada matches. And the young bucks are like, get out of here. And Kenny's like, no, it's okay. He could he could come here and help. You know, he could check on me. So there's little little teasers throughout that that whole time period of them really building this back up. They have a big moment at the New Beginning in Sapporo show, 
where Cody and Hangman Page, which is funny because people really believe that Hangman and Kenny are tag team partners and have this built-up history. They were rivals the entire time Hangman's been there because he was on Cody's side. Hey, Cody and Hangman beat down Kenny. Kota Ibushi runs down with a steel chair, chases them off. They have this big moment where they hug, and New Japan went all out. They had streamers coming down with balloons. Not even joking. Like, they went full on, like, oh, my God. Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi were the team hell no of Japan. I love it. You know what I mean? Like, it was team hell no, but they turned it up a notch. And then they started oh, building sure. up. They started building this up to now Ibushi's kind of in Bullet Club, but he's not in Bullet Club. And Kenny is with the outsider who's been feuding with Bullet Club for the better part of four years on and off, going back to 2015 where at Power Struggle. And then the Young Bucks have been in his corner this whole time. Ibushi's not loyal. He left New Japan. He left you, you know, yada, yada, yada. That's how this really started going, including with Cody Rhodes and stuff and all that, the inner, the inner turmoil with the elite. Damn Cody and his shenanigans. But the interesting part is there is a little caveat here. Building up the strong style evolved at Honor Rising Night 2, the Golden Lovers beat Cody and Marty. So that solidifies that feud. It's done. Dead and gone. That feud is gone with Cody and them. The Young Bucks confront them and challenge them to a match to Strong Style Evolve, which now is I make the hot tag to Rice Krispie. Hot tag, hot tag, hot tag. All right, I'll take over. Close line, close line, close line. Duck down, drop kick. Uh, so, excellent history lesson. I have a very quick, funny story. So, um, this is part of, you know, the elite civil war, which obviously it has its history in its own because here we are a few years later, all elite wrestling, all that good jazz. Uh, also a part of that is being the elite and a lot of the build up to what was happening at the time with the inner turmoil and everything that was going on with uh, Kenny and Coda and the Young Bucks uh, was played out on being the elite. And there's an episode where um, the camera is like going down this uh, hallway and it's in this uh, hotel and uh, knock on the door. The young bucks open the door and they pan the camera to Kenny. And then Coda comes into the frame and they had this secret meeting, right? Um, also, another big piece of this, uh, which Gerard forgot to mention, was when the Young Bucks challenged... Um, the Golden Lovers. The Golden Lovers. They also announced their move to heavyweight, which was a super big deal because for all this time... Uh, they were the bread and butter junior the tag, junior tag team division. right they were the they were the bread and butter junior tag team for new japan and that was also part of the feud which i jokingly made at the beginning of this episode where kenny and uh kenny said that oh the golden lovers are the best tag team in the world you guys are the best junior tag team in the world and that's okay like i mean no disrespect 
But when you think about it, I mean, in the industry and amongst fans, juniors are always looked at as a step below. So that was disrespectful. And that, that was a low blow to put him in that junior box. Even though um, that's supposed to be his best friend. Right, exactly. And so to put him in that box of a, the junior label, um, super disrespectful. Um, and to also claim yourself as being the greatest tag team when, again, as uh, Gerard broke down, they parted ways and Kenny focused on a solo career. The Young Bucks have been one of the most well-known tag teams of the last decades and were at the top of their game at this point. So to come and say, oh, I'm just going to get back with my old tag partner and immediately um, immediately claim ourselves as the best tag team in the world. Yeah, that, 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 was, that was definitely a low blow and it was pretty disrespectful. The funny story that I have, uh, the whole buildup between uh, being the elite and the leading up to this event, I actually missed because in this point in 2018, I was in basic training for the United States Air Force. Uh, so I missed all of this and I had to wait until I got out to uh, enjoy everything. And I remember writing you a letter telling you like, man, you gotta, when, you, when you get a chance, man, you got to. Yeah, he was he was keeping me updated and sending me letters about what was going on and that's yeah that's what friendship's all about. I remember before Ross and I started this podcast, Ross took like a one month sabbatical because of stupid stuff that happened at the 2018 edition of Money in the Bank, and so he refused to watch Money WWE for WWE programming for one full month. And every week he would call me, ask me what the heck was going on, (laughs) let him know, hey, this is what's going on, yada yada yada. I'm sorry. I, I love the fact that you mentioned that Gerard will write you letters, Rice Krispie. I can just imagine it being like this. Dear Rice, it's your good brother, Gerard. Today is May the 17th of 2018. Uh, I'm here to write you that Koda Ibushi has reunited with Kenneth. It has been delightful to watch on television. Uh, the internet connection has been a little bit of a struggle because it's hard to go ahead and get the programming from Japan. But overall, it's been lovely storytelling. I miss you. I hope to see you again soon. Your good brother, Gerard. That's exactly what I see. I don't know why, and I'm sorry that that was so detailed and so <laughs> stupid, and I apologize. I'm kidding. Uh, first, actually, before I go anywhere else, I always state this, and I will state this again. Good brother, Rice Krispie, thank you for your service. We appreciate you. We would not be the wonderful country that we are, even though we've got its issues without people like yourself protecting this thing. I will, that's the only thing that I will say. Thank you for your service. Please carry on with the um, explanation uh, of Koda Ibushi and Kenny Omega visiting the Unbucks. Thank you very much for the support, kind sir. Uh, so yeah, so I had to play catch up on once I finally got out because obviously no internet, no phones, all that limited good jazz while you're in basic training. So I had to, once I got out, I was able to catch up with everything. Um, so let me get into the match here. So you have the clash between Kenny's past and present. You have the Bullet Club Civil War. You have the pride between Kenny and the Young Bucks as the best tag team in the world. Young Bucks move to heavyweight. Uh, you have a, uh, It's very story-driven, right? Uh, so let's talk about the match itself. Uh, the match is pretty interesting because – 
I think people have gotten used to a certain style and expectation when it comes to a Young Bucks match. Uh, you see it a lot with their feud with the Lucha Brothers and Escalera de la Muerte and all that good stuff. Very wild and high-flying, all, all that stuff. People forget how well the Young Bucks can actually uh, tune it down, be a little well-grounded, and let the story drive the impact of the match versus, yeah, we're going to do 450s off of ladders all night. Um, which they did. And in the very beginning, uh, re-watching it and going back, uh, I would say that it was Golden Lovers that actually were doing more of the high spot stuff. Uh, well, Ibushi's a madman. Well, yeah, that, that, that is true. Okay, yeah, um, let's, 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 let's say this right now. Gerard and I had a competition between Kota Ibushi and Ricochet a couple of months ago, and Kota Ibushi won, and that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, the, the dude's insane. I don't his his neck must have been I think I honestly think that adamantium is not a fictional metal. I believe it's real. And I believe <laughs> And it's in his neck. It's and in it's his in neck. his neck. Yeah. Listen, That's the I, only exp- explanation. As a person who is uh who doesn't watch New Japan Pro Wrestling all that often, um, but can appreciate it from afar. And as a person who has ju- who really saw this Kota who who really saw Kota Ibushi like for the first real time today the man is not only absolutely utterly insane but the man is so gifted behind the ropes like the it's like welcome I, to the club that's all i'm going to say it, well, welcome it's, to the fan club the abushi it, fan it's club just, it, it's it's crazy it's 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 just crazy i've never had i've never seen anybody that I have to stop and be like, oh, crap. Yo, this dude is real good. I haven't had that type of thing in a long time. The last time I had that, AJ Styles, like, that was the last time I had that moment of like, oh, snap. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I've given crap to Kenny Omega in the past because I've always – I. I used to say Kenny Omega was overrated, and I'll be the first one to tell you that on this podcast, and I've actually admitted that I was wrong. Kenny Omega's not overrated. Kenny Omega is genuinely one of the best professional wrestlers in the world today. But I have also stated that he is still not better than than AJ Styles. Excuse me. Kenny Omega is not better than Daniel Bryan, and I'm also here to tell you after watching the match that I watched today that we're discussing right now, I don't think Kenny Omega is better than Kota Ibushi. Therefore, ah, welcome therefore, to the club. Therefore, I also don't think that Kenny Omega is better than Okada, which I know that that has also been a, a conversation for a very long time. But I'm sorry. If I think Kota Ibushi is better than Kenny Omega and Okada is the best Japanese wrestler in the world, therefore, automatically, Okada is the best, is better than Kenny Omega. He almost said it, Chris. We almost got him to say Okada's the best in the world. That caused the getting it out of you. No, that no, no, no. That's still, that title still belongs to Alan Jones <laughs> until he turns 45. That being said, I just I had to state that because it was, it was that monumental to me, right? Like, I'm watching this guy, and I'm like, wowzers. What, what a performance. Like, his selling, his acrobatics. Striking. Um, 
his striking was unreal, which I should have known would be the case if I thought Shinsuke's are vicious. His, I mean, he makes he makes freaking Shinsuke look like he's basically just doing an Orange Cassidy, man. That's exactly what he makes Shinsuke looks like sometimes. And by the way, I do love me some Shinsuke. And by I the know. way, Shinsuke had a quote about Ibushi that I think is relevant to your point. Please, share it. Please. He's like, the great thing about Ibushi is that he actually knows how to fight. Like, he has fight background. Yeah, so his strikes so, are super realistic. So Nakamura says he hurts when he kicks him. Nakamura says he brought it to me, and I, that's why their Wrestle Kingdom match is so incredible because yeah. Ibushi kicked the crap out of Nakamura, and Nakamura. Uh, sure. uh, well, you know, you could say the same thing about Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan yeah. is legitimately kicking you in the chest, and he's probably going at eighty percent, which to me is a lot in professional wrestling. I can only imagine what Ibushi is going for, first of all. Second of all, the thing that I was mesmerized about in the match that JR kept on going back to was Ibushi's kickboxing background, um, which I thought was monumental to talk about. Excuse me, my wedding ring just hit my table. Um, I thought it was incredibly monumental to go ahead and be discussing because it just brought a sense of realism in a match that was already about as realistic as you could possibly imagine. and, and yeah, man, I'm just saying that Kota Ibushi is seriously no joke, and I will definitely be paying attention more to Kota Ibushi, therefore, which will allow me to go ahead and pay attention more to Okada, therefore, which will, I will, I mean, I've already been paying attention to what Omega's been doing, but it will, it will make me wonder, will Ibushi then be considered my best wrestler on the planet once AJ hangs him up? Unless, unless... Sounds you know, like someone's about to subscribe to New Japan World. Sounds like that New Japan World is about to kick in. I'm, Welcome I'm, to the club. Um, it's to actually, the and it's cheaper than WWE Network. So. Well, considering that the podcast that we do is WWE-centric, I might have to go ahead and be the one that gets the New Japan subscription. I'll leave Ross with the WWE subscription, and then we can go ahead and go back and forth. That being said, I'm, I'm, I'm serious when I say this, because I, I, I mean, okay, first of all, I'll be the first. I really want to discuss the match, but I'm, and I, this is my fault. I fully take the blame for this. And if this podcast goes two hours plus, enjoy it, because this is a banger. That being said, I've, I, I, Gerard, how many times when you came on the show um, back in November, did I basically ride the Seth Rollins train to like absolute death. Oh, I mean, we've had, we've had this, um, the, plenty of discussions about, we've had this debate on Seth. Instagram several times. This is true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've talked several times. Um, who, 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 who was I talking about? Was it, uh, Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay. Thank you very much. Shout out to Will Ospreay. <laughs> Shout out to I, William. I, yes. Hello, William. This is, uh, Jorge. Nice to see you. Um, you know, I was talking about Seth Rollins being the man. And by the way, Seth Rollins absolutely deserves all the credit that I always give him because he truly is. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm going off on Ibushi here for a second, but I will be the hey, first I got, How many times, Chris, on an episode of a podcast do I go off on Ibushi when we talk about New Japan? For, I go on 10-minute tangents like yeah. – the man, I mean, the man Way is simply incredible. You know, so, so again, please forgive me. This is my first no, time ever watching really, like, Ibushi. Let's say I'm like a kid at a candy store. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is incredible. This is big stuff to me. This is, this is eye-opening to me, that I saw something that was entirely different to anything I've really ever paid attention to. And people always say, yo, watch Okada, watch Okada. To this day, and you guys might get mad at me, and if anybody wants to call me a non-professional wrestling fan after the comment that I make, screw you, I am a huge professional wrestling fan. Not you guys, though. That being said, um, 
I still to this day have refused to watch Kenny Omega and Okada. <gasps> yes, I know, I know, I know. Yes. But hear me out. Hear me out. And the reason why, though, is because it has to, first of all, it's got, to, it's got to do with a couple of things. One, it's got to do with Meltzer and giving it seven stars. Like, that pisses me off. Second of all, he gave the other one, what, like six and a half? Like, no, come on. Like, don't come at me like that. That's bull crap. You just broke your own five-star rating, and now every single time a five-star rating comes out, it's like a four-star match. Um, and then third of all, like, the hype was so unbelievably too much that it, it, it genuinely turned me off from watching the match. I was like, yo, people are talking about too much about this stuff and like, it's the greatest thing ever. It's like, I know what the greatest thing ever. And I refuse to believe that this is the greatest thing ever. Now, that being said, am I going to watch it eventually at some point? Sure, I will. But I just, I, I, I want people to sometimes, I feel when people talk about Omega, it's like, calm your tits. Like, it's too much. It's too much. But now, I've watched Ibushi, and now I get the reason why people talk about Omega that way. So now I basically have to apologize to any people that I've disrespected about my comments about Kenny Omega. But at the same time, I'm here to tell you Ibushi's better than Kenny Omega, so I don't have to apologize as much as I think I do. So that being said, this match was a banger. This match was fire. Although I have a problem with the, some of the storytelling because how are you going to tell me that you're the best tag team in the world, but you haven't teamed in four years when the other team has basically been the best team of the decade? How does which that exa- Which exactly, that was my point. That, that was yeah. the driving point. It was like, it, it's, it's disrespectful. It's like it's you yeah. went off, you guys haven't been a tag team for quite some time. You went on this singles run. And on top of that, the Young Bucks were literally in his corner for his biggest matches and, and the funny su- thing supporting is, him and becoming this yeah. megastar what to be like, oh, is, yeah, we're the greatest tag team and we're just going to throw this big, ugly junior label on you. Right. And the funny thing is, on top of all that, the Bucks are the ones that are heel in this match, essentially. The Young Bucks were definitely the heels in this match. You can absolutely tell by the Because manuals. Cody Ibushi can't play a heel because Cody Ibushi's probably he's, – he's as a babyface as you can get. I've never – he does have those moments, and I think it, in this match he even has a moment where he, his eyes change. Like if you watch his matches, yeah. he has a look in his eyes. Uh-huh. The dead and then he, eyes. He has Cody these dead Ibushi. eyes, and then he just goes on murder streaks. It's, I remember he punched Ishii in the throat. This is going off topic, but – in one of the matches, he had he did that look, and then he punched, shoot punched Ishii in the throat, and the referee had to stop the match for a second. Like, hey, that's a little, but that's yeah. Ibushi can't play that heel, and it's it's yeah. interesting because Omega was torn still, even though he made that comment, he did not want to really want to get involved in this match. It was Ibushi, right? And you could tell, and you could tell this is going on at the beginning of the match. So let's talk about the match now. Match starts, Jackson, Matt Jackson who is the one that's basically the most vocal out of the Bucks in this match. He's the one that's basically- As like, always. As, as always, always right? And that's probably the reason why the Bucks sometimes rub me the wrong way, but that's for a different day. Um, so he's calling out Kenny. He's like, I want Kenny. And Nick is like basically trying to, like trying to calm him down. And he's the diffuser. He's the diffuser of the situation, but not so much at the same time. He's like, he's telling Matt to take it easy, but at the same time, he wants to go ahead and whoop Kenny's ass as well. And then yeah. you- and then Ibushi is basically trying to go ahead and tell Kenny, yo, bro, get it together. These guys are disrespecting you and they're disrespecting me. We're in this together. Are you doing this or not? And that was the entire storyline that played out through 40 minutes. And I could appreciate that 
very, very much. The storytelling was absolutely on par. The Bucks were basically incredible heels in this match, although they were also playing great baby pieces at the same time because Matt Jackson was basically nursing a horrible back issue throughout, at least kayfabe wise, in throughout the match, and he was Chris, his, his, his five year uh, lower back problems, the same back, <laughs> the same back issue that he was having, uh, he had um, at Stadium Stampede. But yeah, no, it's so it's pretty interesting when you when you look at the match and kind of break it down because, um, and. It's funny going a few years forward and the whole uh, AEW Revolution tag match, which was kind of the same thing, uh, just kind of replaying that. Uh, when it comes to, again, we know the Young Bucks for doing the crazy stuff, the spot fest stuff, ladder matches, putting their bodies through hell. Uh, but they, they can ground it down a little bit, get you know, and, and, and tell a story. Quickly. And Matt Jackson drives that team when it comes to Matt Jackson's going to be – if the Young Bucks ever broke up, Matt Jackson's a single star. Yeah, he is because he – Right, because he, he did a very good job in this match. Of course, the, the, nursing, the nursing, the injury or whatever. Yeah, he did kind of heelish things, but – he 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 rides that line almost to perfection, especially in this case, because you could say they were the heels in this match, but also at the same time, it was justified. The anger that he had. Because like, I right. might think they're the baby face. That's why it was such a good storyline. Like you could either, you know, this guy left you and now you're back with him. It's it does a whole different, depending on what team you were rooting for, yeah. you could justify them being the baby face or the heels. Matt Ryan, right. it was it's like, you're, you're, yeah you were disrespecting us and you hurt us. So a lot of his actions are justifiable. So right. is he really a heel? It's again, he, he rode the line perfectly, uh, especially in this match. Um, yes. There's a lot of interesting things that he does in this match. Obviously the match is emotionally heavy. Like you said, he for sure. Yeah. The, the, the young boss were a woman out. scorned in this match. Yeah, That's the he, best way to think about it. They were a woman scorned in this match. He calls uh, Kenny Omega at the very beginning. No, I want Kenny. He he really wants to beat his ass. Uh, Nick tries to play peacekeeper between both sides, uh, but then there he does have his moments that, due to some of the antics of Kenny Omega, uh, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, you might be my friend, but and then he hits him with a V trigger. That's my like, brother. Okay. That's my brother. So kind of getting tired of your shit. I'm going to have my brother's back versus uh, maybe, maybe not my friend right now. Um, but yeah, Matt really drove it uh, home for the Young Bucks in this match. Uh, there were moments uh, where uh, Kenny Omega obviously targeted the back and he was like, does that feel good, Kenny? Does that feel good to you? Like, you, do you enjoy doing this to someone you consider a friend or say that you're their friend um just those little things just those little details were great the nuances one of my favorite uh one of my favorite moments in the match i mean there's a lot to break down from this match because like you said it was like 40 minutes long um but one of my favorite moments in the match is uh kenny omega gets laid on a table on the outside and the young bucks are working on cody bushi 
and Nick Jackson sets him up for more bang for your buck. So he does his 450, which Matt Jackson usually follows up with the moonsault. Matt Jackson goes up to the ropes, completely ignores what's going on in the ring, and drives his elbow through the heart of Kenny Omega. Who's I pops when I watched that live, I was like. Because no. it was like it was it, all gloves he, were off at that point. After right, that, he like, he was just so hell bent on getting some revenge and just making Kenny understand the pain and hurt that and and his anger that he was feeling because of the betrayal. Um, he was just like, I'm just gonna forget forget the pin, forget trying to finish this match. I'm just gonna drive my elbow through your heart because that's how much. I'm I'm am pissed off at you right now. So I'm watching this today, and I I'm, I know the exact moment that you're talking about because I I remember it vividly. And I'm watching it, and then like you know again, Nick hits the 450, and then Jr's like, well, well, what's Matt doing? And dude, okay, first of all, let me be the first one to tell you that was seriously one of the better elbow drops I've ever seen in my life, and. I don't know if it had to do with the proximity of the ring to the barrier, which then made it look like it was just a very tight space when that table broke. But that was a full-on real elbow, and I have to give all the credit in the world to Kenny Omega for taking that elbow because it was utterly insane. And listen, I see elbow drops happen all the time. I have seen Shane McMahon drop 50 feet, and deliver an elbow drop on WWE programming. This was a really good elbow. Um, I, it, it In was, execution and because it, of the meaning behind it. it because was, of both. It, it was, because of both, yeah. It was just it so was well cool. done. It's like, it was just yeah. – yeah. And, and again, kudos to, kudos to Matt for driving the story uh, for the Young Bucks. Yes. Now, here's – can I mention – we've been praising this match so far. Um, and, I, and I think that I was able to go ahead and capture some negativities for the ladder match. And I think we captured some of the slight negativities for the Elimination Chamber match. Yeah. And I believe that we still have to capture a couple of um, negativities for this one. Gentlemen, you guys, again, watch New Japan Pro Wrestling religiously. Can you all explain to me, because they're doing this now in All Elite Wrestling, and it's something that concerns me a little bit. Where were the rules? What were the rules? I know that there's a 60-minute time limit and that the match can only be won by pinfall or submission. Were there no disqualifications and no countouts? Because that was not something I was oh, impression of. I, I can explain that and kind of break that down. Please. Uh, when it, when it comes to AEW Japan. all the time now. Like, they completely – and this to also happens point. in singles matches too. It's the to opposite of what how AEW does it, though, because New Japan does explain it more so than what AEW has. Right. Christ Christ be about to tell you, yeah. Yeah, because the thing with AEW is – and this is an issue that I have with a lot of the tag team matches is – they kind of really bend the rules for the Lucha Brothers because they call it, you know, Lucha Lucha rules or under Lucha Libre style rules. But then they Lucha do Libre it for, still, they still have rules. But they <laughs> do it for everybody. Like it could just be the Lucha Brothers thing, but they literally do it for everybody. When it comes to New Japan, um, when there's these big matches like like this even though it's not for a title but because of the emotion they, they are a little lax but it's also who's refereeing 
And in this case, it's Red Shoes Uno, who's a legendary referee there. He gives a lot of people leeway when there's a lot of emotion in the match. But it's a big similar, match feel. It's yeah. like, okay, you guys could do this within the rules. But yeah. if you watch these, some of these big matches where he referees, the moment like an outside thing comes into the match, he'll stop the match. Like with right. Bullet, okay. like if the rest of the Bullet Club came out and attacked Ibushi, it's mm-hmm. over. In other cases, like he'll, so like with a count out, like he'll let them fight for a while and he'll let them go for a bit before he starts a count. He, he gives that leeway. And then also um, like in, like in new Japan, sometimes they'll bring a chair out and, and hit people with the chair or in the table. When they go back into the ring for the pin, he'll refuse to count. He's like, yeah, you you did you did your thing, but that's not allowed. So I'm now I'm not going to count this. Interesting. Okay, yeah, cool. so because in WWE it, you see it a little bit different because they do give things a big match feel, and I'll be the first one to tell you that because obviously we see a lot of announced tables being broken, and we never see any disqualification. But I found it interesting because not only was the announced table broken on a sick last ride powerbomb from Ibushi to Jackson, let me go ahead and say <laughs> that right now. Uh, I, I will always give praise to The Undertaker for the last ride, but Ibushi does a mean-ass last ride, especially that sit-out one. I nearly freaking, like, like... Oh, the golden I, star bomb? I almost, I, came, dude, I almost came in my pants when I saw that. It was a... <laughs> but I, I will give... I, I just wanted to make sure I comprehended what was going on because I, I know that Earl Hebner and Mike Chioda and Charles Robinson do the same, but this was different because I was like... Because I see it... I think maybe my beef is the fact that AEW just does it all the time. Yeah. So again, it when it it's comes ref to ref discretion, is that right? Really? It's it is ref discretion, and and that is a big uh, part of Red Shoes Uno. Red Shoe Uno's fair play. Like I said, he he will let he will allow for things to happen, but he still finds a way to uh, be fair. Make it fair. Him. Like right. if you so hit me with a chair. He's not going to DQ me for doing the same thing to you later in that match. Right. Even if it decides the match because it's or a like, karma thing. Right. Or like I said before, if you hit someone with a chair and then go for a pin, he'll flat out – like he's done it before. He'll be like, no. Like, and he'll pull you off the guy too. Like he'll straight up just get involved. So that's a, that's a thing that is kind of uh, stylistic to New Japan and Red Shoes Uno. It's Unfortunately, AEW decided to whore it out. So that's why it kind of takes away – Okay. From your perspective, it takes away from the match. Yes, and I'm sorry. It's understandable, which is fine. I mean, yeah. you're not like, yeah, this first time you were watching the match, you're really not familiar with the New Japan. I, I had to go ahead and make sure to ask, and I felt I didn't want to come across as like disrespecting New Japan by trying to compare it to all elite wrestling. But at the same time, as Gerard knows, because him and I have both gone off on this and we're on the same team on it how Dave Meltzer always tries to go ahead and discredit New Japan and makes it seem like AEW is the one that's doing everything, but New Japan did it first. Even though essentially, you know... Uh, AEW is... New Japan, Japan pushed AEW out the womb. Yeah, it's its exactly. offspring, gonna, but whatever. No, it's, no, you're right. It is its offspring. It is its... Um, what's the other word that... Uh, the, it's the seed of AJPW's loins, damn it. That being said, so we're getting towards the end of the match. Um, Freaking A, dude. Like, Kenny Omega hammers 
both bucks with like 17 V triggers. It's unreal. At this point, the gloves are off. Like the we mentioned, after that elbow spot, it's like, okay, now, yeah. now, the, right. the yeah. best now, now it's like, it's all for, you know, for, forget for everything is thrown out the window. Yes. Friendship, respect, all that. Everything is, is out the window. And then you have Kenny refusing to drop Matt with a one winged angel. And, and then, then Matt goes, Matt's go like, ahead. Do it. He forces it. He, yeah. he literally grabs Kenny's arms, oh. wraps it around his own head, and, and forces Kenny. Which I kind of – I have a small angel. issue with that, though. Like, Matt Jackson's supposed to be almost dead at this point. How do you have enough strength to have this man his arm around you? I would have used that strength to get out of the V-trigger. That's just that. That, that he moment, wants to, I think the point was is that he, he wanted to force to. Omega to do that to him. Got it. Because no one is a kicked out of the one wing angel ever except Kota Ibushi. So Matt Jackson knew once he hits this with me, it's done. And Gal right. Kenny has to be the one to pull the trigger on me. Right. Interesting. It's like, it's, okay. it, it, it was very. Uh, it was a very great. Piece me- meta- metaphorical. It was, yeah. you know, it didn't. At that point, it wasn't just going to be the end of the match. It was like the end of everything that they built and the end of their friendship. And, like, the, um, you do this, we're done. Right. Like, yeah, as if yeah, you yeah. haven't been done for the past 35 minutes, but we're that, <laughs> now. <laughs> that moment reminds me of the final scene in Watchmen when, mm. uh, if you're familiar, or if anybody yes. listening is familiar, when uh, Rorschach is confronted by Dr. Manhattan outside. And Rorschach, Rorschach who is unwavering in his beliefs, is like, no, the world needs to know the truth about what really happened. and Dr. Mahan's like, I, you know, I can't let you do that because all hell is going to break loose and the world is going to blow itself up. And then Dr. Mah- uh, Rorschach just goes, do it. He just screams at him to do it. And then, you know, of course, Dr. Yeah. Manhattan finishes him off. So it, that reminded me a lot of that. And as a big uh, watchman, Mark, it really made me happy to see that. So um, Matt Jackson forces Kenny Omega to hit the one wing angel at, 2.99999 Nick Jackson breaks the pinup. Um, there was a lot of back and forth. They started hitting each other's moves on each other. Yes. Um, and and to wrap up, finally wrap up this match, uh, the Golden Lovers use their new finisher, the Golden Trigger, which is uh, duo uh, Kamagoye essentially Kamagoye V Trigger. Uh, and knees to the face yeah Yeah. straight up knees to the face and the golden lovers come out of this match and as we know uh if you follow bte we after this event we get the conclusion to the story about what happened in that hotel room and it turns out that they had this meeting and that they decided that no matter what happened on that day they were going to find a way to stick together. And lo and behold, the golden elite is born. And, you know, pro wrestling tees got another t-shirt and printed out more money that day. The real winner, Ryan Bark. The, <laughs> the real winner, pro wrestling tees.com, which by the way, you can uh, get two of our designs at pro wrestling. Oh, man. That's oh, plug. Three T podcast. Oh, man. That's plug another away, one. Gentlemen, plug away. Okay. That, okay. That was a, fantastic overview of a match that I was my first ever time experiencing. And uh, 
I'm this, again, this is, it's, it's almost a decades long story. So there's a, it lot, is. To, a lot to, uh, uh, you know, open up. It's like, sift through a lot to, I, listen, if we were going to go that's, off on that's next, what, that's what makes it, you know, that's what, that's why we're talking about it on the TDT classic series. Exactly, bro. Exactly. Here's the thing. If we were going to go off and talk about the next three years of what happened with Gargano and Ciampa, we damn sure needed to make sure basically what happened previous seven years of Ibushi and Omega and the Bucks. That's like, why I love that we had those both of those matches is that they're both long arcing storylines yes. that paid off big time at the end. Exactly. Exactly. So now, as most of you that are listening to this podcast, and as you two know and as I know, um, Dave Meltzer has a um, a very touching relationship with anything that the Bucks and Kenny Omega do when it comes to professional wrestling, and he just gives out five star matches to them like as if they were skills. ever ever since that Kenny Omega. Uh, Okada Tokyo Dome, the one that broke the, first the one? yeah that, that that one that one's the match that broke his. That's a six rating. star match, right? That's the first ever six star match. Yeah, right. Okay. And ever since that, which again, in my opinion, well deserved, but ever since then, it's he hands him out like candy right. to that specific group, which like is why example, the broken table system was created. It, that, that, which is perfectly fine, and I'm willing to adhere to that set system here in just a moment. Like I'm like for example. I'll give you a perfect example of what I believe is a five-star match. And Crispy agrees with me, and I know you do too, Gerard. Like, Sean Cena and CM Punk at Money in the Bank 2011, that's a five-star match. Like, that is a five-star match. Period. 100%. 100% bar none. Um, another five-star match, to me, is Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano 2 at NXT TakeOver 25. Like, I, I think you guys may have seen this video when I put it up on the TDT Instagram page, but if you have not... I did have a slight moment of a full-on full on markout for, like, when that match ended, I literally yelled into my phone. I was like, that's a five-star freaking match. Because I was pissed that they gave five-and-a-half stars to their first match when I thought, oh, okay, that's just a five-star match. Which, by the way, the first match of them in New York is a five-star match. It's not five-and-a-half stars, though. It's not. And then if you were going to go ahead and give that match five stars, but then not give the War Raiders and Ricochet and Alistair Black not five stars, and if you weren't going to give um, my homie Pete Dunne and Walter not five stars at NXT TakeOver New York, like I was so appalled that I was pissed. And then he gave 5.25 stars to Adam Cole and John Gargano at TakeOver 25, and I was, I was more, more appreciative of that. Um, so anyways, my point is, um, as if anybody can tell, I have a very, very love hate relationship, more hate than anything else with Dave Meltzer. Um, and again, this is why I adhere to the broken table system, which is why the reason I just used it today, um, because you guys were our special guest three T on in the house Queens in the building. Um, by all means you can use it cause we ne- we haven't copyrighted it yet. So fair play. I'll talk to Ross. You probably should. <laughs> Oh, trust me. I have had the conversations of trademarking the Double Turn podcast because there's the Double Turn radio somewhere, and I do not want to go ahead and get us confused. But at the same time, on a good day, we get like eight listens, so I don't know really if I'll ever win that trademark. That being said, Gerard, this match got five stars. You rewatched it over the weekend. 
where does it stand to you now and what are your overall thoughts of what you watched and then after this, after we all go around the round table we're going to rank the three matches that we discussed tonight before we end the show cool yeah um this is my favorite tag match that i've watched so far uh i love wow. tag team wrestling it's not my cup of tea i like more singles one-on-one stuff more okay that's just me personally i think tag team wrestling does this is my probably my favorite like straight up tag team match i mean also that's my bushi bias showing as everyone knows, if anybody listens to anything I post on social media, on 3T, on iStrongStyle, on the podcast, it's I'm very much a big Ibushi mark, so that also plays into, plays into that. He's still I'm going to this year. That's all that matters. Hey, man. Hey, we both took L's this year with, with our favorites in New Japan. <laughs> mm. I had yeah, – there we go. <laughs> we both took an ass open by New Japan, by Gato. Gato both handed us some ass opens in the last six months in New Japan booking. But outside Listen, of that... Listen, if it I makes don't... you feel any better, All Elite Wrestling has been destroying NXT for the past, like, nine months, and I've had to hear <laughs> it nonstop. And then I have to hear it from Tony Khan on Twitter, and I have to hear it from Jericho Big in a promo, story. and I have to hear it from the Bucks and Omega and Paige on YouTube. I'm taking an L as well, and Ross has been trying to take tell me about it for the last nine damn months. Listen, I hear you. the entire planet Earth has taken an L in 2020. Hey. Well we're played, just, sir. Go we're ahead. We're just part of the trend. We're part of the trend. So I think I've tossed a turn about – because we didn't do – we weren't redoing the podcast at this point, I don't believe, when this show came out. If it was – it was probably in its infant stages, I think. No, we weren't because we started after I came after back. After all in. So, yeah, so we weren't even reviewing it at this time. So when this did this never got... take place? This was like July 2018, right? June 2018? Yeah, 2018. Yeah. Something yeah, it, was like, it was like earlier, mid-2018 because, again, I, I was gone. Yeah, this was right, right. This was before the podcast existed. So this never got a rating. I'm going to give this a 4.75 broken tables. Okay. I love this match. Um. I think the center part, like the early bit, bits of the match were good. I think they kind of start off a little slow from what I was expecting here. I but agree. I understand the, the slow burn of building the Omega and the Bucks thing. Ibushi was the star of this match. He kind of carried majority of the match at times because obviously they had the whole thing with Kenny being hesitant to fight them and all that. I think 4.75 is where I'm at. I don't want to give it a five broken tables. I don't know if I gave the Revolution match a five broken tables. I'll have to go back and look. But I thought this match was better than the Revolution match, and I think they kind of used the same storyline. But Omega and Hangman don't have the history Ibushi and Omega have, so that's why there's a big gap between the two. I know um, Meltzer and a lot of other people and a lot of our listeners and followers on your page too probably would disagree with me. But that's where I'm going with that. 4.75, Rice crispy. You're in. So I'm 100% surprised you didn't give it five. I was going to give it, I was fully expecting you to give it five broken tables and I was going to give it 4.75 just to spite you. Uh, <laughs> Cause I know that's your boy. Uh, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm with my good brother here. 4.75. Um, I think with all things considered, uh, 
the match itself when in terms of a technical aspect and seeing what they did it went a little and, long for me by the way now that it went a little 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 too long yeah it could have been cut a little bit um but then i mean again you're it's telling a ten, you're telling a 10 year you're telling a 10 year yeah. story like it's hard to nitpick this i bet you know I'm I'm trying to justify giving it a four point seven five by trying to find some nitpicks in the system in this match. Yeah, I'm but, just not giving it five because it didn't happen in the Tokyo Dome. That's really yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not giving it that good old Meltzer Tokyo Dome buffer. Uh, but yeah, this is coming I mean, from someone I, who's met Cody Ibushi. Right. Like, mm-hmm. look at him flexing. So, it's freaking. It's so, disgusting. I mean, I, I'm not disgusting. giving it a five stars. Just have to. Big time, Mark. Uh, hey, Ibushi's about to walk into your room and take back that autograph, bro. I'm I'm what Dave Belcher is to Kenny Omega in the Bucks with Cody Ibushi. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm 100% biased. I don't care. Yeah, but but it seems like uh, our good man, J-Man over here is uh, part of the cult of Ibushi now. Hey, he's in. He's in. They're already sending on, him. Kamagoye tote bag is coming in the mail. Right. On the next episode of TDT, J-Man gets uh, initiated into the Church of Tanahashi. That's another I, episode. I know. I'm going to have to go ahead and do a double t- – uh, I'm going to have to do a TDT Classic Series when Ross and, where Ross and I go ahead and find three of the best Ibushi matches, singles matches we can possibly find and break them down. Honestly, oh, the is incredible. But, yeah, it's – The next m- time you guys see me, I'm going to have right. uh, his light brown here. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, this match to me is, uh, for lack of a better word, a classic – uh, it told a very important, a very detailed, a very, it was the conclusion of a very long uh, story. Um, and, you know, to see everything that came out of it, uh, how it added to the Young Bucks legacy. And, uh, you know, now they're, now they're heavyweights and still at the top of their game when it comes to tag team wrestling and them pushing for tag team wrestling to have its place and be, you know, considered at the same level of, you know, regular singles wrestling. Uh, This match is going to be one that people are going to look back on. Um, And if you haven't watched this match, if if this episode hasn't convinced you to watch it, I don't know what to tell you. You should absolutely 100% watch this match. So 4.75 broken tables for me, J man. I'm very interested. This is first time you're really covering new Japan uh so i'm very excited and it was the first time you saw this match so i'm curious to what you're reading yeah man listen um i was i was not surprised by the quality that i watched i i knew that i was about to watch something special um because it was omega it was ibushi it was the bucks hang on papa hang on daddy's daddy's talking on the podcast i'm gonna make sure to not edit that out either because this is real life yo um my three-year-old is the man um, I knew what I was going to get. I didn't know how awesome it would be. And I was like 40 minutes. I was like, that's a long match. But it was a 40 minutes that went by relatively smoothly. It went by relatively quickly. I did not feel like it dragged. The first couple of minutes of the match was relatively slow, but I think it was needed. Omega didn't want to be there. From a storyline perspective, he did not want to be there. He did not want to be doing what was about to go down, right? And so he was forced into it from Matt, and then he was forced into it from Ibushi, and he was stuck in the middle. I 
want to be very careful. Actually, I'm going to do something really quickly. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, I'm lowering my ladder match table. Ooh. Okay? Because I don't, because I want to be very careful with how I do this. So I'm going to go ahead and give 4.25 to the NXT ladder match that we discussed earlier in the evening. And I'm going to go ahead and give this match four and a half broken tables. And I'll tell you the reason why. Because this match was fantastic. It was glorious. And Rice Krispie and Gerard, you guys hit the nail on the head. This is a classic. This match is not perfect. And to me, a perfect match is the one that should be getting a five-star rating. Or a five-broken table rating. For example, the three of us went ahead and agreed the Boneyard match was absolutely perfect. That deserved five broken percent. This there was very, very little slight things that I was like, ah, why did they do that? But at the same time, it was such a great match that I was like, it doesn't care. I don't care, right? But at the same time, I still have to judge it from a quote-unquote journalistic point of view because that's what I decided to do the day that I called Ross to make DDT. <laughs> but I'm going to be fair and say it's one of the best tag team matches I have ever seen in my life. And that's all it needs to be, really. That's all it needs to be. Yeah. And I, I don't have a favorite tag team match because there's a lot of tag team matches that I have watched that I have loved um, that I can't pick a number one. But I will tell you, this is up there in one of the best purely I have ever seen. And I'm going to go four and a half broken tables. And I would love to see more. And the Young Bucks, as a tag team and as performers, have gained my respect so much over the last year as performers that I have, on record stated, I now consider the Young Bucks the best tag team in professional wrestling today, followed very closely by the names that I've already mentioned on a multitude of occasions on tonight's podcast. The Usos, The New Day, FTR now, um, the Lucha Bros. I have, I'm a big fan and a big supporter of Santana and Ortiz for various reasons. One, they're amazing. Two, they're my Puerto Rican brethren. I kind of have to support, but then it helps out the fact that they're just really, really good. That being said, four and a half broken tables is where I'm going. So then, gentlemen, to finish up the show, because I know we've gone long, but this has been so good. It's been so informative. I've had such a blast. And I know Ross and I have gone a multitude of occasions way over time. And it is what it is. I don't care. Let me ask you, at number three, Chris, what do you put, reason why, and then Gerard, three, reason why. I'll go three, and then two, 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 and then one, 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 and we'll finish it up. Sound good? Excellent. Crispy, go ahead and you go first. What is your number three and a small summary of why? Uh, number three uh, was going to be the Women's Elimination Chamber match. Yeah, I'm probably going to get some heat because I'm putting the women at the bottom. Uh, no, I just think uh, for, the, for the group of matches that we chose to cover, um, yeah, it did not, not that it's the worst one. It's just the third best. Uh, there's nothing – there's really nothing more than that. It's not deeper than that. It's, you know, it, it was good for what it is. It has its place in women's wrestling history you know, inaugural, inaugural champions, it highlighted talent very well. Uh, but when it comes to wrestling, uh, and my good brother can back me up on this because we actually talked about it a lot when we talked about our, on our episode with the, 
actor's perspective, I am more of a story-driven and character-driven person. Um, you could have an excellent match, technically speaking, uh, but the Gargano Chiampa feud that carried NXT over the next three years, and then this feud that wrapped up an almost decade-long story. Uh, I'm all about the storytelling. Uh, story and character is number one for me. So, uh, respectfully, uh, the women's match gets the bronze medal for me. Okay. So now I'm up. My third match. I'm going against what my broken table ratings are. That's more of me looking one-on-one-on-one. Number three is the ladder match at TakeOver Chicago. Not that I didn't think it was the or the worst match or the, whatever. I just think a 10-year storyline and a historical moment trumped this by just a little bit for me. It's picking Apple. It's like picking like the Granny Smith apple and, and a red apple. It's like they're both kind of apples, but uh, someone has to pick one. You, you need other. to have gala apples, bro. Go ahead. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, you have to – It's He doesn't eat pick. fruits and vegetables, like, at all, so that's never going to happen. <laughs> Got to change so, that about your diet, homie. I, I did that <laughs> recently, and it actually helps. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Gerard. Go ahead. So, yeah, you, you're pretty much just saying, for me, historical and the 10-year storyline – have a little bit more than what that was. I feel the match itself was great. The moment after match was what people were talking about. So if we're going to be independent of that, still, like Rice Krispie said, it's like you're not picking a bad match. You know, you're not saying that match sucked and the other two were better. It was just we have to pick one for three and we have to pick one for two. So that's on me. That's my Jacob of Chicago. All right, fair play, fair play. I actually, I, I, so a couple of weeks back, I think you guys saw this. Um, we did our Brett versus Owen classic series. And uh, I definitely got a lot of heat because I said the steel cage was the third best match of the three. It was that, their mania match, and then a, a random match that they had on Raw, which is a banger, which nobody has watched because it was on Raw in 1996. Highly recommend, or 1995. Um, and I called the steel cage match boring. <laughs> and I was, I was not, it was not very well taken. I'll put it to you that way. <laughs> um, that being said, I'm also going to put the takeover ladder match at number three. And I'll tell you the reason why, because uh, Gerard hinted at this. First of all, that um, the elimination chamber is historic, but it was more than just historic. It was these ladies Actually, I don't want to go ahead and give away too much. So I'm going to tell, I'm just going to say the ladder match for the reasons that I stated earlier tonight was not the best ladder match I have ever seen. And if it's going to be the best ladder match I have ever seen, it more than likely will be higher up on my ranking list. And in the way that this wasn't the best ladder match I've ever seen, Ibushi and Omega versus the Bucks was one of the best tag team matches I have ever seen. And then the Elimination Chamber match was one of the best women's matches of all time. So does that make sense? Like those other two are higher within their own ranking systems, whereas this ladder match is not as high up within my own ladder, ladder match system. That's, yeah, that's, that's basically the way that I put it. So Chris, 
we'll go back to you, my friend. What do you put at number two? And I think I know where you're going with number two. So go ahead. Uh, number two for me is going to be the ladder match. I think it's, like I stated before, I think it's going to be looked at as one of the more important ladder matches uh, in just ladder match history. And it just because of what that Sicilian psychopath did on a messed up knee, and he still was able to carry a match and he wasn't hidden or they didn't not utilize him. He just did a bunch of unnecessary crazy stuff with uh, a messed up knee. So number two is the ladder match. I wonder if in the back they knew that he tore the ACL and they were trying to stop him and he kept going. I'm curious to know what – I'd love to know – Well, the, the refs were checking up on him periodically, so I'm pretty sure word got to the back. That he was at least injured. They probably didn't know the, the, the extent of it, but they knew something popped in his knee. I bet you I, – I bet you – I bet you he, he hurt his ACL. I bet you he tore it by the end. I bet you it, didn't, it wasn't a full tear at the beginning. I bet you it gradually continued to get worse throughout the match. Wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. Yeah, Gerard, I'm sorry. I, I, I just had to state. Oh, no, it's okay. You're number no, no, two. Okay. Go ahead. Number two, obviously, I'm going to have the, the women's elimination chamber match. I love the historical ramifications of this match. It wasn't a 10-year storyline that played out over in a promotion for the better part of a 10-year time period on YouTube, on New Japan television, outside of New Japan television. That even crept into WWE's television with Ibushi teasing WWE for a while. So that's why I put the that match number two. Historical, great match. Could have gotten a lot more out of it, I think, at certain points. Still, like I said, I don't want to say these matches are bad by not being number one. Another great match here. and I, That's why I love all three matches we picked. I think each one of them has a case for number one, if you really wanted to make a case for it, you could either put this one or the Chiampa match, the match with Chiampa and Gargano versus OEOP. You could say that's the best match out of the trio. This was really a harder choice than even, even someone with an Ibushi bias could say that I could have easily put either one of these two and made a legitimate case for it. Um, it's, uh, I'm going to have to say the Golden Lovers versus the Unbox is my number two. Damn. Um, no, I'm totally kidding. Okay. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not going to do that to you guys. Of course not. No, man. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm a troll. I'll be the first person to say that. Oh, hey, <laughs> I, I, me, me and Rice Krispie, are, we have our master's degree in trolling on the internet. So we, we respect trolling. This is very true. I, I am, since I am, about 2007. This is true. I've been trying to troll since like yesterday. I'm kidding. No, uh, listen, it's the Elimination Chamber match, but um, it's, it's funny that you hint at the fact that it was a 10-year storyline with the, with the Lovers versus the Bucks. And I can fully respect that, but I thought that with the Women's Elimination Chamber match, I have to look at it a little bit deeper, and I have to say that, you, you know, we talk about historical, but this is more than just historical. We're talking about like 70 years worth, you know? And that's not an exaggerated number. You know, and I, I can fully uh, comprehend and fully uh, appreciate a 10-year storyline, but this is the evolution of a gender's version of a sport, um, which I think needs to be looked at and, and, and be analyzed a little bit better. Um, and, and prior to yesterday, I wouldn't have told you I was going to put that Elimination Chamber match over that ladder match, but having watched it, I, I, with confidence, I can say, 
that that elimination chamber match to me. And by the way, Crispy makes excellent points on the ladder match because he, he's very rightfully so. And I think I'm just sticking to the fact that the ladder match in itself is not the bestest, not bestest, excuse me, the best one I've ever seen. So I think I'm sticking to that too much, but I, I, I just, that's the way that I feel. Um, but the elimination chamber match from a women's perspective, I think is going to be very hard to be topped for a long time. And I think it's going to hold its own within elimination chamber history as a whole, as one of the, honestly, five best elimination chamber matches we've ever seen period. Um, and that's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. Cause you look at 2002, the original one, that, that is the bar, right? But then like last year's elimination chamber match, the men was also really good. And then you've got a couple of other ones that are kind of like mixed in there. I think the one that C the one at New Year's Revolution when you know when Cena won and then he got cashed in on it by Edge. I think that also gets looked at really highly regarded. But then at the same time, I think people look at the fact that Edge cashed in and then don't critique the actual match. And sometimes people forget about that. Whereas the elimination chamber that we're discussing. The whole match in and of itself is great. And then you also had add in the historical pinpoints of first ever women's tag team championships. Um, the incredible performances put on by all 12 of the women, um, the crowd reaction, um, the moments, everything all coming together. I, I definitely put it as the number two out of the three that we are discussing this evening. Now, gentlemen, to close it out, obviously we all agree that the Golden Lovers versus the Young Bucks was the best match of the three. What final thoughts do you have regarding this match? Because we, we gave this match a long time on the show. Is there any final thoughts that you guys have about this one? So I'll go first. Uh, it's funny. We, we gave this match as much time as it actually ran, I think. <laughs> Maybe more. Um, and just to touch on something you said when it comes to the, like women's history in 70 years. Yeah, WWE history maybe because the women's revolution actually happened in TNA a long time. That's a very but good that's a topic for another episode. No, no, you make a good point, and I apologize. <laughs> I was being biased, and no, it's cool, man. It's cool. I, I, I have, I have feelings about WWE's revisionist history. Um, but talking on this uh, tag match, I mean, like I said, I'm a story person first and foremost. Uh, you have a 10-year story that played and affect or, or was affected by multiple uh, companies, DDT, New Japan. And like Gerard mentioned, it played out when Cody Bushi teased going to WWE. Um, so there's just a lot of these emotional ties that are, that are very, very real because uh, we know uh, the history between Coda and Kenny when uh, Kenny talked about when AEW first got announced and, and Kenny talked about uh, somebody asked him like how he felt about Coda not joining and he freaking burst into tears. Um, so it, it's just very real. It's very raw. Um, and because I'm a story guy uh, through and through uh, this, yeah, this one, this one takes the cake. This one's number one for me. So I'm up. Yes, sir. Three words. Watch this match. <laughs> if that's all you have to say, that is beautiful. 
and not because I don't want you to not talk. I actually, I'm just, it, it's such a perfect description. Um, that's, that's all I got on that one. It's that's fair. Listen. Okay. Well, I, I, I've got a small one for you. Um, watch this match to remember how good track team wrestling can actually be. That, that sums this up. Yeah. That, that it sums really up does. This entire episode. Yeah, when you really yeah. want to break it down. That's a great way to sum up all three matches. Watch all three of these matches, and then watch. Okay, watch all three of these matches. Watch the revival versus DIY NXT Takeover Toronto. Watch uh, Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler versus Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose in 2018. Uh, watch Cesaro and Sheamus versus Shield. Um, both of them. Um, I could go on and on and on. Watch any of the undisputed era tag team title defenses in NXT, period. All of them. Watch all of them because they're all great. Um, Tag team wrestling is special, and it needs to be taken seriously by various companies. Some companies are doing better than others. You know, Impact was doing really well, and then they went ahead and did what they just did last week with the Motor City Machine Guns. But the north, of the, the north of the truth, and then AEW's tag team division is absolutely the truth. And WWE needs a little bit of catching up to do. Okay? Um, and obviously, New Japan's tag team division is absolutely stacked beyond all gills. The point is, though, tag team wrestling is something special. Tag team wrestling needs to be experienced. If you've ever had a best friend you know that at some point you've always wanted to team up with them in a fight against some other people. Why? Because you fully trust that person and you know that you and that person together become this ultimate just powerhouse of a humanity that will destroy all things and you cannot be stopped. It's like you, it's, it's like Trunks. Nah, I hate tank. this guy. I want to beat his ass. I mean, fair play. <laughs> I mean, there are times that Ross wants to slap the bejesus out of me, and that's perfectly fine. <laughs> hey, listen, brothers and best friends make the best rivals. As that's, a, that's why New Japan yeah, is most of these climax, matches. So you can fight your own and friends. That right there, that right there, what you just said, is probably what best summarizes the Ibusha, Ibusha, Ibushi, Omega, and Bucks match. Um, and just overall, man, just a. Just what a treat to watch all three of these matches within a 24-hour time period. Seriously. I loved watching all three of them. Um, gentlemen, what a show. Like, what, what a podcast, man. I, I knew that as soon as we – so for those of you who didn't know, um, the three T-dudes were supposed to be with me and Ross back in June. Uh, we were actually going to go ahead and do our Fatal 4-Way episode, but – with everything that was going on in the world, and I had a feeling that Chris and Gerard were going through some things in New York because COVID was hitting New York pretty hard at the time. Yeah. I felt in my heart. Now it's hitting you guys pretty hard. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. This is correct. Um, Arizona's been brutalized, but it is what it is. And I'm doing not my best to stay Florida, safe. Yeah, not as bad as, not quite as bad as Florida, but we're up there, man. It's pretty, it's gnarly up here. Um, but hopefully it, uh, we get past this. But uh, I'm just very happy that you guys had the opportunity to be able to go ahead and come back on. I'm very happy at the fact that we discussed tag team wrestling. I'm very happy at the fact that New Japan was very, very well represented on this program today. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Rice Krispie and Gerard from Through the Table Podcast. You can find them at Through the Table on Instagram. You can find them at iStrongStyle. Uh, 
no joke, when I go ahead and post all my news, uh, 92% of the time it's coming from Gerard. And uh, thank you, brother. I will continue I to that, plug their crap into you guys all the time. Not to mention his memes on iStrongStyle are hilarious and you need to go follow them immediately. Um, watch New Japan Pro Wrestling because they clearly have a lot of good stuff. If you love AEW, you're going to love New Japan. Like that is a fact. Um, and if you love NXT, you will probably like, you will probably love New Japan Pro Wrestling. Like that's just a fact as well. Um, gents, go ahead and plug away. Anything else you want to mention? I know that you guys are on iHeartMedia or will be on iHeartRadio very, very soon. Congratulations on that huge thing. Like that is super dope. Um, anything else you want to go ahead and mention? You, oh, real quick, follow Gerard, King of Sad Style. Uh, follow Rice Krispie at the Rice underscore Krispie, a.k.a. Juan Cena, a.k.a. Lord Farquaad, a.k.a. all those <laughs> other names that you go and put under there, which is fantastic. I reinvent myself reinvent himself like he were the chris jericho of the podcasting wrestling world you should be proud of yourself for that i appreciate that man putting me over putting me over big on my debut man i appreciate it i got uh, you guys man of course and of course on. gerard the good brother coming in here hot with all the news and I, gerard be honest with me how many pictures did you post up on 3t and on i strong style while you did the show with us did you what like five let me see i think at least two probably Okay, not surprising because I remember when I when we did the WrestleMania Night One review, all I saw was you taking pictures at your TV, and I kept on <laughs> scrolling my feed, and I was like, "This dude is seriously posting up content while we're recording the show." On that's like that takes dedication. He trained. He's trained himself to uh, do this in his sleep. Actually, that's yeah. pr- it's that's pretty scary. Pretty mesmerizing. The grind never stops, so to speak. Fair play. Anything else you guys want to go ahead and plug before we head out of here? I, I don't have nothing to plug. I'll just say, you know, thanks again, J-Man, as always. You know, one of our good brothers in the podcasting community. Thank you, of course, for having us on, as always. We can't wait to get you back on and Ross, if he's not busy on 3T again. You know, this is probably our closest friends here in the podcast community by far. You guys are always supporting us, and we always support you guys likewise. So listen to both of our podcasts and wherever you guys can find both of our stuff, listen to our stuff and vice versa. You know, always want to support the good brothers who are doing the good things out here in the community for everybody. So thank you again. No, no problem. Man. An absolute pleasure. Of course, we always return the favor. You guys are always kind to us. You always post up our podcast randomly. And I, every single time I see it, it makes me want to cry tears of joy. Um, so I genuinely, genuinely appreciate that. You guys were one of the first ones that really congratulated us when we hit episode 100. And you guys were really super cool and supportive of us when we got Ugo on the show as a guest, which by the way, to this day is still mind blowing. I don't know how the heck that happened. Still crazy. I'm still crazy to me. And I'm cool with this like publicist guy who like, I'm also going to try and get on the show. That being said, um, yes, listen to three T listen to us. Uh, a fifth collaboration is probably going to go ahead and come in the next couple of months. Don't be surprised by that. Um, and we'll have a fun time doing it. And we'll probably go another two and a half hours because we're, I'll put it to you this way. You want a shorter podcast? Listen to three T you want two and a half hours of awesomeness. Listen to us. That's, that's how you can go ahead and balance out. If you want the shorter podcast, go with Gerard and Chris. And if you want the longer one, come listen to us and you'll be happy both ways. I promise you. Um, the double turn podcast can be found on Spotify, Google podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Breaker, Stitcher, um, Radio Public, CastBox, Pocket Cast, the Anchor application, 
Um, you can find us on Instagram at the double turn podcast. Um, by the way, congrats on 3000 followers on IG, bro. That's insane. Yeah, for sure, man. I saw that made me, I, I was like, I've been 3000 for the last, um, yeah. Um, I do not have 3000 followers. I'm at 170 and I'm trying to get up. So follow us on IG. Um, the one and only J man 19 Ross, the real boss 85 on Instagram, boss Ross on Twitter, go ahead and troll him. Tell him to put more content on his Instagram and on his Twitter feed. That would be greatly appreciated. And, uh, yeah, man, that's all I got next week. Ross and I, we're coming back strong with another version of TDT's classic series. We're going Shawn Michaels, Kurt angle, baby. That's going to be, fun. yeah, we're super Ooh, stoked on wee. that. We're talking their Mania 21 match. We're talking their Vengeance match. And then we're trying to decipher what's going to be that third match, whether or not it's the homecoming match or if it's that, uh, that match in January of 06, right before Kurt Angle went back to SmackDown. So trying to decipher that. What's you guys' next episode on 3T? Uh, it's a good question because uh, we just released one. So got to see what we, we always have. We have like – a, a laundry list of things and ideas. That our, our li- in our like I, iPhone notes is just like ideas. Right. It's so, just a matter of like formulating it into like right. an episode for us. And, and yeah. timing. Um, we just recently launched two new mini series on the show. So we That's have right. one. We have one called On the Table, where we kind of talk off-topic things that may or may not necessarily tie into wrestling but kind of our other interests so our first episode was video games our latest episode was acting and performance art yeah and then we also uh, launched a career retrospect series. that's right you guys were really plugging away with the aj one that was your first episode right right yes yeah. that was that was the one that that started uh started it off we have a few names in mind for our i could drop a teaser it might not be coming soon but since you know J-Man's giving out what he's doing next. Our next career retrospect episode is going to cover the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi's historic New Japan career. Ooh. You heard it here first on TDT. There's Ooh, another one for bro. you. Adam, that's, boy. Uh, that's our next big one. Uh, Watch, but- the season finale of Through the Table is going to be the career retrospect of Kota Ibushi, and it's going to be Gerard just talking for two hours. Eight hours. No, eight, eight hours. Eight hours. Eight-hour-long episode. It's going to be ridiculous. But, um, yeah, that's, that's who we have in mind to do the next one. Don't know if it'll be soon because uh, – as the AJ one uh, proved to us, homework for career retrospects are pretty like we we went in for that one. I'm I'm very not trying to put myself over or pat myself on the back, but I'm very proud of that episode because we actually talked about doing that when we started. Okay, wow. and it, it took us about two years to get there, um, and I'm I'm kind of glad it took us that long because we've. I've tried to improve when it comes to the production and editing side and stuff like that. And, and we did, we did a lot of special things uh, with that episode. So those career retrospects are going to be rare, few and far in between, but uh, we're going to make sure that it's our best work possible. Excellent. 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 But you guys don't ever fail at great work. Um, I'm really proud of you guys and, and, and everything that you guys have been doing and always thankful for your, for you guys' support and thank you for wanting to come on and have fun with me. Um, and I know Ross would have had a blast as well. 
Um, so Chris, Gerard, I know it's nearly midnight over up in New York City. So thank you for taking the time out of your night on a Sunday uh, to do the show with us. Um, we'll be, I'm going to be dropping this later this week. Um, I'm probably going to split it into two parts, but it's going to be banger nonetheless. May, may I cl- have the honor of closing out the show? You most certainly can, sir. Okay. Well, so first and foremost, J-Man, always a pleasure of working with you uh, and working with Team TDT, coming together to make Team Too Many T's. That's true. Uh, a pleasure. Uh, couldn't think of a better way to make my debut. I had an absolute blast. Uh, just revisiting those matches and, and rewatching them and then coming together to talk some really good tag team wrestling in mind. With that being said, if this episode has taught you anything, it should be this. Tag team wrestling's alive and well. If it were dead, the other feds wouldn't survive the smell. Rice Krispie out. Fair play, Rice Krispie. All right, ladies and gentlemen, for Gerard, for the Rice Krispie, and for in our, our brother in spirit, Boss Ross, this has been the J-Man, and you have been listening to the Double Turn Podcast. And we will catch you. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but he says this all the time, so I got to close it out like he does. We'll catch you on the flip side. Peace. Peace.